Someone who meditates on the Word of God is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves never wither. At Grace, we think of our Sunday time together as a two-hour experience, an hour for worship and an hour of Bible study or Sunday school. Worship times are 7.45, 9, and 10.30 each morning. Bible study times are 9 and 10.15. Come, deepen your roots and grow those branches this week in God's Word at Grace. This is Jessica Tess and Becky Shermerhorn with this special Reformation episode of Most Certainly True. We thought that we would format this episode a little differently than episodes that we've done in the past, in part to mark this special occasion, and also to have fun as we're learning more about podcasting. We hope that you enjoy what we have planned for you. This is a prepaid call from... Martin Luther. A hideaway at Wartburg Castle. You know, so if someone were to ultimately ask me, why did Luther think everybody should should hear the Bible or read the Bible? Uh, the answer would be Luther says the Bible is the swaddling clothes in which we find Christ. They were also teaching through Christ alone, like you don't need a you don't need a priest. Right. You know what I mean? Like it, like you have access to the Father, you have this, and so those things were revolutionary. But they were uh, revolutionary across the world. You know, like the impact of people having access to Scripture was not little. You know, it was it was crazy. We're we're really hoping and praying that people are taking that to heart and that they go to Bible study and then it doesn't just end at church. Jessica Tess and I wanted to take a closer look at the Reformation and some key events and players of that time. The problem is, is that Jess and I don't have much time to do research and get answers to some of the questions that we were asking and the topics we wanted to discuss. So we went to some experts to get their take on the Reformation, specifically how culture, God's Word, and the Reformation interacted together. Did the culture have more of an influence on the Reformation, or did the Reformation have an impact on culture? Also, how did God's Word shape both of those things? We decided to first pack up the kids. I know, would you believe we brought our kids to the first interview? We're nuts. We each have three kids. Luckily, both of our older ones were at school. So Otto, Nick, Jess, and I went to WLC, Wisconsin Lutheran College, to talk to Dr. Wade Johnston. I'm going to give you a warning now that you will hear them eating snacks and mumbling in the background while we were talking with him. Dr. Johnston is a host on his own podcast, Let the Bird Fly. You should give it a listen. It's a mix of topics about theology, history, family, sports, and whatever else he and co-hosts Mike, Peter, and Ben decide to banter back and forth about. He is a professor of theology and teaches quite a few classes, and some include Renaissance and Reformation as well as the history of Reformation. We knew he was the person we needed to talk to about our questions. I looked up his bio on the WLC faculty page. He has 35 publications with his name attached to them, as well as some in the works. As soon as you walk in his office, you're overwhelmed with academia. Row after row of books on bookshelf after bookshelf lining every wall. It was similar to sitting in a scene from a movie where there are stacks of books in nearly every corner and the characters have to move sideways just to fit. Okay, it wasn't that bad and certainly not cluttered, but daunting to think about how long it must have taken him to read and digest what I imagine to be some of his most prized possessions. We started with a simple question. Why was the Reformation necessary? As soon as you hear Dr. Johnston start his answer, you know that not only has he read all those books, he probably has most of them memorized too. Sure, a good question. I think um, if we're viewing it from, you know, just the course of history type of thing, then we we could probably say, well, it wasn't inevitable. Lots of things could have happened that um, the Reformation didn't have to take place where it did and when it did. You know, there were plenty of people who were happy with the church. But I think if we're talking about 
what it was reacting to, then there was plenty for it to react to. And mm-hmm. you had mentioned before we started recording, one of the things um, is just the daily life of the people and the meaning of life and how that was viewed for people. Um, you had, after uh, the plague, the, the Catholic Church, um, the Roman Church, the Church of the Day, um, very much became kind of the cult of the dead among the living, if you can think of it like that. So many people had died during the plague um, that you spent much of your spirituality was focused on those who had already died. I want to stop right there just to pause on how real that was for even Martin Luther. I read a biography this summer entitled Katerina and Martin Luther, The Radical Marriage of a Runaway Nun and a Renegade Monk by Michelle de Russia. Just to give you a picture of how much death was a part of the culture before, during, and after the Reformation, I'll read you an excerpt about Luther's family. Quote, Luther and Katerina eventually had six biological children, along with as many as 11 foster children living with them under the roof of the Black Cloister. Eight months after Hans's arrival, Katerina became pregnant again. She gave birth to Elizabeth during an outbreak of the plague on December 10, 1527. Magdalena, nicknamed Lena, arrived on May 4, 1529, followed by Martin on November 9, 1531, Paul on January 28 or 29, 1533, and their last child, Margaret, named after Luther's mother, on December 17, 1534. Elizabeth and Lena both died in childhood. Elizabeth at eight months old and Lena at age 13. It was not unusual during this time period for a family to lose more than one child. Approximately one quarter of all babies born alive during the early modern period in Europe died in infancy, and another quarter died before reaching puberty. Nearly one child and two in early modern Europe failed to live to the age of 10." End quote. Death had more of a place in everyday life than what we are used to. It's not something that most of us think about daily. The people of that time did. And that has an effect on what you think about God and your faith. Um, and that showed itself in the spirituality too, of if you wanted to be truly spiritual, then you were gonna withdraw from the world. So you were gonna become a monk or a nun. Okay. Um, and you were not just gonna withdraw from the world, you were gonna withdraw from earthy things. I don't wanna say worldly things, cause that sounds sinful, but earthy sure. things, you know, um, you would be celibate, uh, so you're withdrawing from marriage. Um, fasting is not bad, but you'd be living a life dictated by fasting, so withdrawing from food and drink. And in many ways, the the Reformation, or at least Luther is what he did, is um, to bring salvation, to bring God's grace back into the daily life of people. And, and so we see a shift from the, the heart and center of spirituality, if we want to use that term, shifting from the monastery, for instance, to the home. Mm-hmm. Um, as he says, mothers and fathers become bishops and apostles to their children for teaching the faith. Um, but also, you know, Lutherans are different than a lot of other Protestants and that a lot of other Protestants will see a break with the Middle Ages. Like there was Paul and the apostles and then there was just the gospel was gone and then it was back. And Luther says, well, God's always been working. The gospel's always been there, but it's been darkened or obscured. Okay. And so maybe if you think of it as, uh, in many ways, Luther took the cross and just sent it, placed it um, centrally, and okay. said everything now is through the filter of this. So the Christian life, um, I hate to steal our, our our byline from our podcast, but mm-hmm. um, you're set free to live in a world given back to you. The idea, when we, when we talk about that with the podcast, um, or letting the bird fly, is the idea that... Uh, now, because the cross is placed central, I see Christ there for my salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm freed from uh, this transactional concern, from, from uh, check marks, from keeping uh, um, getting enough merits to be saved. I'm set free knowing I'm saved to actually see the world for right. what it is, not to turn everything into an idol, um, but to enjoy it as gift and, and to do good works um, for my neighbor, not for myself. And I think that's where... One of the things that I that comes up a lot in class is if you read Luther on poverty, um, the medieval church had said we need the poor because they carry our alms or our charity to heaven. Right, so you need the poor so you can use them so you can be saved. The Reformation comes and Luther and the reformers say, how about we try to get rid of poverty? 
um, you're able to address the poor because they're your neighbor and in need. Mm -hmm. Now, we know we'll never entirely get rid of poverty. Jesus says you'll always have the poor among you. Um, but you're set free um, in the confidence of salvation to serve. And, uh, and, and that changes the life. Now the life isn't the cult of the dead. We entrust the dead to, uh -huh. to, to God. But it also is um, my salvation is not something yonder I'm hoping to get to. It's in my baptism. It's been given to me, and I can now live in that salvation. And I think that changes the culture, too. Uh, if you think of German engineering, um, why does it have such a high reputation? A lot of people say, well, it's the mm -hmm. reputation. Or it's the Reformation. It's said that the shoemaker, the engineers, is just as important as the monk. They're right. serving God with their gifts. The mother, the father, is just as important as the monk or nun. And so you're set free to, to serve in that way, and it really exalts the household if you think of the catechism luther gives the the catechism to the household to be taught there um and so i think you see a, a shift that takes place in the protestant countries um due to that but that's a long answer to a short question okay so it's going to sound like we are totally switching to an unrelated topic now one that has nothing to do with god's word or the reformation but it is a topic that is very connected when you consider vocation. It's the topic of being a mom and taking care of the home. We understand that not everyone listening is a mother, a wife, or even a woman, but the same principles that we talk about here are applicable to your situation in your life. It's just that Jess and I find it easier to make connections to stay-at-home moms because that is what we are. So if you're not, sorry for this winding road that will lead back to the Reformation. Listen and think about how you could change or incorporate the message and insert it into your daily life. As Dr. Johnston said earlier, much of the Reformation had to do with viewing service to God through all of your life. You didn't have to join a convent or become a monk to serve God. You could do it while making cars, or in the case of Jessica and me, chopping onions for dinner. Hi. Hi. How are you? Enter Rachel Jankovic, author of three books, Loving the Little Years, Fit to Burst, and a future title, The Identity Trap, Trouble, Truth, Glory, and You, to be released soon. Rachel is a wife and mother of seven. She and her sister, Rebecca Merkel, author of Even Exile and Classical Me, Classical Thee, have a podcast called What Have You. It's a mixture of discussions about daily life, spiritual quandaries, and tips on how to run a household smoothly. I've met her in person many years ago, and so I don't have a vivid memory of it. We were both young kids at the time. She lives in Moscow, Idaho. However, I do follow her on Instagram. From her feed, you can get a pretty clear picture of what her house and life is like. There's a joyous hospitality. It's probably noisy, but with a focused industriousness, chaotic, but still with a purposeful organization. You'd likely smell something baking or dinner cooking with no shortcuts taken. That's not her style. Kids would be dressed up as knights and fighting to slay an imaginary dragon, which her family believes is the message of the Bible. Kill the dragon, get the girl, or the church in other words. Rachel has unwavering, unapologetic opinions about what it means to be a woman living in, but not of, the culture in America today. They are opinions from a fierce desire for biblical femininity. She deeply understands the power of a woman, and in that power, the capacity to shape a home, a family, and ultimately, a culture. The power that women have to present Christ to all people that they come into contact with each day, leaving an imprint of how much God cares for and tenderly loves us. The power to glorify God through normal, everyday tasks. Um. I guess I would say it, it is, like the way you just described it, it is a very cyclical, involved process because obviously all humans, you know, mothers, women shaping children, um, and some of them going on to be mothers again, but also every son is connected to a mother. You know, um, I think culture is traditionally really a women's domain, and that's something that people are... Um, not not all culture, home culture, um, and that's something that people, of course, are trying to, like they think it's a trope that we should get past, mm -hmm. but, you know, that, that typical 
um, kind of like this place needs a woman's touch, you know. <laughs> it yeah, used sure. to be very, <laughs> very culturally accepted to talk like that, like men without women or um, missing really, I would say, comfort and beauty and um, the women do the work that applies what you believe to real life, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, yeah. um, and if you think of everything, when someone describes, like, where they came from or what they love, you know, like, yeah. if, like, when they describe that, it's so connected to really little things. You know, how often mm-hmm. is it that kind of lemonade on the front porch uh-huh. or <laughs> apple pie or when coming home to baking bread or, you know, like, those things are... God made those to, like, have a disproportionate impact on people. And I think that that is um, an area where women really shape culture. They shape other people. They shape people's ideas about what's beautiful and worth pursuing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that happens all the time. And, and you said, how is society shaping women now, too? I think it's just, it, it is the same way except inversely, you know, through despising being at home with children, right. you know, like instead of, instead of women shaping people by, by investing their love in something, it's women shaping by investing their hatred or their loathing in, in things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I know that I've heard you say this before, but it's just interesting. Like when you, think about, um, okay, well, how is culture being spread in America? Well, TV, magazines, books, and so right. rarely do you ever see um, a woman at home fulfilled, right? She's always right. searching oh, yeah. for no, something. It would, and... it would always be, and if it was supposed to be a lovable character, um, it would be someone who does it all with a sense of how lame it is. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it would be someone who's like, really aware that this is all, you know, I mean, yeah. or they'd be a character for comic relief. Like, you might like them, but they're not smart. Oh, yeah. You know, they're not, they're just a dummy who keeps doing, you know, baking things. Right. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Depending on their purposes, I guess. We want to be clear here, when Rachel talks about women and their roles within the family, the biblical structure that men are the head and the women are submissive. She is not saying that women are inferior or unequal in any way. But we'll just let her tell you. Thinking that women should be somehow less than men or inferior to men, but mm-hmm. it is embracing that God-given equality at the same time as believing that there is a difference. Right. You know, like, that we're not the same but we are equals right before god so let's try to find our way back to the reformation we've established that service to god and to others can happen in your everyday life this service shapes people it shapes a home perhaps your interactions with others at the office or wherever you work this service shapes a culture which is what happened during the reformation luther and the reformers led very busy lives and brought much change but so did their wives This may be a bold statement, but a statement we're willing to make. Katie Luther chopping up onions, baking bread, and wiping the noses of her children at the Black Cloister did as much for the Reformation as Luther's table talks did. And Rachel would too. We asked her how the women of the Reformation helped shape the culture of this time. Oh man, well, in loads of ways. um, I don't, I guess I would say that the role shocker of the Reformation because the Catholic Church had been uh, dominant there was Mm -hmm. no um, there was no like role of the family Mm -hmm. in the church because because of this idea of um, you know there were nuns like the religious people were nuns or monks right you know like the people who were serious were not going to be parenting and then there was this whole you know, it, and so those women, many of them, like Katie Luther, many of those women were ex-nuns. Mm-hmm. You know, so you had, and I, I always think it's cool because when they were convicted that the Bible taught differently, and then they, it was like a hilarious matchmaking season, yeah. you know, <laughs> like just marry the the ex-nuns to the ex-monks. Um, yeah. And in that in that time, those were people that you're already starting with people who have given their whole life 
to piety. Yeah. You know, like they became convicted that they were that they were wrongheaded in one mm-hmm. area, but they weren't becoming convicted that they it wasn't like they were like, Oh man, we should really take our faith seriously. Yeah. It's like they did take their faith seriously already. So I think in that way is a head start for those women because it's not like you go from being a nun to being a mother of children and being like complaining about having to do kingdom work. You know what I mean? Like they were right. working hard already. They yeah. were already. Oh, yeah. um, I think they had an advantage there. Yeah. <laughs> um, on many of us who were like more consumed with leisure, yeah. you know, more consumed with our, our life the way, it, you know. Like, have uh, I had my 10-minute break yet? You know? <laughs> yes, exactly. A little bit of a different, because some of them, I, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was Katie Luther. Some of those, um, you know, it was like the kinds of, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Not a monastery, mm-hmm. convent. It was the kind of convent where they would, they were like getting up all through the night oh, at yeah. regular intervals for prayers. And like, it was a very disciplined, difficult right. life. It is absolutely true that life in a convent was much different. Here is another excerpt from Katerina and Martin Luther. Quote, The first bell of the day tolled at 2 a.m. to awaken the nuns for matins, or night vigils, as they were sometimes called, the first phase of the seven-part daily office the nuns performed. As a postulant or candidate for the nunnery, Katerina most likely did not have her own cell but slept in a dormitory with the other young candidates. She rose with the other postulants and nuns, donned the white robe indicative of the Cistercian order. Other cloistered nuns wore black robes, but the Cistercians wore a coarse habit of undyed sheep's wool, keeping in line with their emphasis on simplicity and austerity, and proceeded in silence to church, where she took her place in the choir section. There she recited the prayers, psalms, and scripture readings, and sang the hymns specified for the matins hour. Lauds followed matins at daybreak. There were five additional hours performed throughout the day. Prime, 6 or 7 a.m. Terse, 9 a.m. Sext, noon. Nones, 3 p.m. And Vespers, 4 or 5 p.m. With Compline closing the day before the nuns retired to bed at 7 or 8 p.m. Each of the hours followed the set of prayers, scripture, and hymns prescribed by the divine office for that particular hour on that particular day. All work ceased at the sound of the bell. The nuns were required to stop whatever they were doing and attend services in the church. End quote. I believe that those women affected great change in the world through their marriages, in large part because it was the first time anyone tried to. It was like, it was the shock of like, what if we try to apply the teaching of scripture uh, in our family life, you know, in our regular lives? And then I also think that they were, I believe that they were just uh, normal women who were used greatly. You know, like, I believe it was just their normal, mm-hmm. even though in the end it looks exceptional. <laughs> but, yeah. Like, now it seems incredible and exceptional. I do believe yeah. it was just normal faithfulness and normal obedience. Yeah. Um, and that probably, I, I'm not trying to belittle what they accomplished because I think they did, like God used them so greatly. And I hope he will use many of us the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that if you could see the normal life of all the people of that time, mm-hmm. everyone would have been shocking. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just, it was a rough time. Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't, it wasn't like they were, um, soaring, you know, way beyond human capacity. They were just being faithful and uh, being hospitable and opening their homes to the refugees. And, the, you know, like they were right. just being godly Christians at a difficult time. Yeah. And just how, I mean, even to you say something about, like, they're being hospitable. And um, I think of Katie Luther running the Black Cloister. And she's cooking mm-hmm. dinner here, and there's Luther and all the students, or Melanchthon, and they're all sitting around, and it's just like, what was she thinking as she's stirring the stew? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, it, she was a crazy lady. She yeah. was she was hilarious. Like, yeah. there's so many times that she was, like, intervening um, to keep him from being just ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Right, you exactly. <laughs> they were, yeah. I, but I do think it was... It was still the normal faithfulness of doing the next thing that to us 
it's, it's exceptional now because we have the viewpoint of what God did with it. Yeah. But at the time, I don't know that they thought it was exceptional, you yeah. know, like, or that it felt like anything particularly important. a lot about why the Reformation happened, how it happened, and who was helping it happen. But we haven't talked a lot about what was it that was happening during the Reformation. Let's go back to the office of Dr. Johnston and the conversation that happened around a small gray table with two boys at our feet and strollers parked in the hallway. Dr. Johnston explains exactly what the point of the Reformation was. In many ways, Luther's task then was to was to peel uh, to peel away from that. Um, my the church I served in Michigan and, and many churches in Grace may have this mm-hmm. had the custom of stripping the altar on Monday Thursday, and yes. so it would take off the pyramids yeah. and we would actually veil then the statue of Christ and the crucifix. And if you think of that, what what Luther really did um, was uh, as Christ had been somewhat veiled in medieval theology was uh, the joy of Easter, where you take the veil off right. everything and you yeah. say, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, um, is to strip away the tinfoil, to strip away all the laws that have been added, um, and to now say, here's gift, this is salvation. And that doesn't mean now that law has gone away. We Now we want to love and serve our neighbor because that's how God has loved us. But the law then comes, the law is not in there as a measuring stick or a means of salvation. Sure. It's to keep us... Really what the law is doing then is to keep us from coming up from our own laws instead, um, but to say this is what is pleasing right. to God because we know how quickly we can, we can go to, well, this must you know, be pleasing to God if I sit on right. a mountaintop and hum for 10 years right. and God, you know, five years in says, why are you doing this? Right. Um, whatever the, I got to stop saying, Mike keeps making fun of me for saying whatever the case may be when we're on our <laughs> podcast. Um, I don't know if that answered no, I see, it. but I mean, I can see how in your just daily life it's like okay check I read my Bible check I uh-huh. did my prayer check I did this and and I'm all good now and I'm just, on church I, council or I'm in right. ladies guild and and how human nature just wants to say okay I'm gonna work this out myself uh-huh. instead of relying on Christ the discussion moves to the entrance of God's word into the hands of the everyday person what must it have been like if you couldn't read God's word on an everyday basis um, and I'm trying to put myself into that, what that would be like to go to church regularly and just to never have a Bible in my oh. house to read. Um, was he? know what they're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, they're in Latin, right? If you think yeah. of Hocus Pocus, you know, Halloween time, yeah. that comes from Hocus Corpus, um, from the words of institution in the Lord's mm-hmm. Supper. <laughs> and in the Latin Mass, this is when the rude screen would open. So there was a screen you couldn't see the priest it would open for the words of institution, hocus corpus, and the people heard hocus pocus. And so that's oh. where, you know, that comes in for magic now. But yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I was, I mean, did Martin Luther just come up with that on his own? I need to make sure that everyone has a Bible or what was, what was going on? Yeah. It's kind of interesting um, that in our day, you know, we're blessed with the Bible is so available and we think of Bible study um, and I sometimes have to laugh because we can place so much emphasis on the written word that we forget that the Bible assumes you're going to be hearing, right? Faith comes through hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, it was a crazy notion that common people would have the Bible, to own a Bible, I mean. It just, mm-hmm. the printing press enables us, but it's still very expensive. Um, most people, as when the Bereans diligently searched the scripture, they didn't each have their Concordia self-study Bible. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, they're going through what the synagogue had. God bless the 84. Yeah. Right? And, uh, yeah, it, uh, and so, um, but what Luther does think is that God's word speaks. Um, he doesn't see God's word simply as a, uh, a text that I'm going to go to, um, and, uh, and I'm going to go to this text and, uh, it's that it's not a conversation. He sees God's word as being very conversational. Um, and so even when he's translating his word, he translates it for the ear, which is how Paul, for instance, writes his letters. Okay. It's for the ear. They were supposed to be um, written out loud. If you want people to hear them well, he says he wants a German that the mother speaks at the home or that the sailor speaks at the docks. Maybe not all full sailor language, but... Um, <laughs> But uh, in the language that people are going to understand, and in many ways this is also then attached to preaching, 
um, that when the word is spoken that it's going to resonate with people in a way mm-hmm. they can understand. The Bible had been translated into German by some beforehand, but it had always been done poorly and not usually in its entirety. And so Luther's the first one to do it well, and even the Roman Catholic translations that come out later basically take Luther's and then change them a little bit as it goes. Um, so I think if we if we think of a... <laughs> we, uh, Sorry. No, this is just like doing ours when we've got the kids in here too. I like it. Those two loud bonks you heard a little bit earlier was Nick trying to get to the computer and microphone. I'd like to say that he only does that once, but you'll hear him trying to make a couple more attempts. Just a warning. Um, when we, uh, if we think of the Bible, what Luther wants it to be in many ways is if a father and mother were sitting at home telling a Bible study, a Bible story to their kids. Mm-hmm. And if you tell a Bible story to your kids in the home, you're probably not just straight telling the story. You want them to stop and ask questions. You want them to be picturing things. Yes. And, uh, and so his translation is really meant to do that. And it's why if we think of the King James, King James, great translation. I don't want to upset anybody. Sorry. Um, oh, that's fine. But King James isn't doesn't hold up as well now. If you're, if I'm talking to a twelve year old and I'm yeah. telling a story in King I James, have a clue what you're saying. the Luther Bible really has had a lot of st- of staying power and really shapes the German language for that. Mm-hmm. But I think it comes back to um, we tend to think of we read scripture. Luther believes scripture reads us, and if scripture is going to read us, if scripture is going to um, wait. I want to stop right here again for two reasons. First, Nick really loses it in the next moment, and I want to spare you the theatrics of it all. Second, I thought that that was a pretty profound statement, and I wanted to explore it some more. We don't read scripture. Scripture reads us. I asked Dr. Johnston to explain that thought some more through Nick's crying. I'll give you the meat of the conversation that we edited out. He says, quote, In many ways, if you've had times in your life that the scripture's really taken a hold of you, it's reading you. It's found something in you that it exposes. End quote. Luckily, Nick stopped crying, and we could get back to what Dr. Johnston had to say on the matter. I think one of the, um, a word that people like to throw out a lot, and I don't know that everybody understands it, but uh, postmodern or postmodernity, and people like to say, well, this postmodern thing, and it's usually meant in a bad way. But one of the things that postmoderns have recognized is the importance of narrative. Everybody has a story. Um, and the question is, where is your story going to come from? Um, and uh, who's writing it? Who's coming up with it? And so everybody is reading or being read by something. For instance, on social network, you're being read as much as you're reading. Um, you know, you're yeah. putting yourself out there. There's a reason that we use filters when we take pictures. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, oh, yeah. um, there's a narrative that you want to create or that you want to be a part of. Something happens and everybody changes their profile picture thing right. to be part of this narrative. Um, what the scriptures do is um, they remind us we are part of a narrative and that narrative is then written for us. Um, and so, really, when we go to the scriptures, what we're what we're doing when they're reading us is that hopefully we're not simply reading them as this is a thing that happened then. But what makes the scriptures so um, enduring is that we're in them, right? When if you read Luther's Genesis commentary, you're Jacob, you're I'm, you're Rachel, yeah. you're these are all things that we can identify with. And I remember having a class. I was taking some guys through instruction, and these guys had had a little bit of a rough background and. Um, we were going through Genesis and uh, they just wanted to do a Bible class so it was two of them and they kept laughing and I thought what am I doing wrong that they keep laughing right. and they said oh pastor this is like a Jerry Springer show and you're reading about yeah. the patriarchs and this one sleeping with this one right. or whatever's going on and um, you know why does the Bible present pe- why doesn't it present people as idealized you know you kind of get with David sure. sometimes he's idealized but then he has his big fall and it's because that's how people are, right? God's mm-hmm. saints are capable of amazing things, but at the same time, God's saints are also fallen, and and their their Christian life is as strong as as they are branches on the vine. Um, and so, to remember what the narrative of whose story we're a part of, and when we're missing preaching, when we're missing hearing the word, um, we do find how quickly um, our narrative changes. Mm-hmm. Um, what we give primary value to or what we see as the end goal of things, how we see other people. Um, are other people just in my way? Mm-hmm. Um, or are they on the way with me? 
Um, all of these things are affected by the narrative we find ourselves a part of and what the Christ, I don't want to say Christ narrative, but that has to be understood well. I'm not discounting the gospel account. Some people will right. say that and they mean it in a bad way, so I don't need any emails that I'm <clears throat> <laughs> um, But what it does, right, is it reminds us that we were crucified to ourselves. We've been put to death with Christ, okay. literally in our baptism. And now we're raised to new life so that it doesn't. it's not dependent on likes or filters mm-hmm. um, or... Right by nature, our narrative. When we set it, it's going to have goals, and in ethics, we call that uh, teleological or the telos. We work towards something. Sure. So my next degree is going to make me happy, or my next kid's going to make me happy. Um, hopefully, before that, my marriage is going to make me happy. Right. Um, my first house is going to make me happy. My second house, my iPhone seven, my iPhone eight. And what yeah. we do is we take all those things and we strip them of all the benefit they'd have, because we put them into our narrative. What, what the, the scriptures do when we read them, when we hear them preached, is is take us out of our narrative, get us out of our own self-made story, which never ends how we, we plan, and put us in a Christ where we find out our meaning is, is located not in all of these accomplishments, but in Him. And then these accomplishments become gift to be enjoyed. Not an idol that's gonna come, that's gonna right. let us down. I think that's what it comes down to, uh, is idols. Right? Uh, Calvin I mean, says the you... human heart is an idol factory. Yeah, yeah. and so it's, um, it's just what are you? Nothing's neutral, as you said, oh. and so you're being shaped by something every day. Yeah. Uh, what um, are you? letting yourself be shaped by yeah David of Foster Wallace who wasn't necessarily a Christian but he, he um, is one of my favorite authors I don't endorse everything he wrote so don't go read one, one of the racy things and get mad at me but, <laughs> um, but he gave a commencement speech and he, he said in there everybody worships something the question is will what you worship eat you alive oh. and uh, what the scriptures do is they take yeah. us out of all, all that that would eat us alive they, they take us out of that and then what does Christ say he says take and eat Right here's my body yeah. given for you, yeah. and that grounds us. Then um, it saves us from ourselves and from our idols, so that we then um, can delight in the home, in the workplace, wherever yeah. wherever we might be. So far, Becky has had the unfortunate task of feeding Nick bananas and making sure that he doesn't run down the hallway of offices. Honestly, we didn't think that much about how we were going to handle the kids during this time. She's been mom extraordinaire and patient with both kids. Nick and Otto finally give her enough of a moment to comment on the importance of what Dr. Johnston says. No, that was really well said. I feel like I can totally relate to everything that you just said there. Like, you're at this point in your life where you're not reading the Bible or being as diligent, I guess you can say. And, um, he's still there. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, I don't know. I can just... I can relate. I feel like I've been in that point of unsatisfaction and thinking the next thing, the next thing, the next thing will right. make it better, but it never does. Yeah, we sometimes you'll hear, and I ask forgiveness if someone has said this. I'm not poking fun uh, a little bit, Am, but sometimes you'll hear people talk about the Bible as basic instructions before leaving earth. Mm-hmm. And that can be understood, but what does that really do? It turns the Bible to rules or law. Right. Really what the Bible is, is again and again the crucifix held before us, mm-hmm. the resurrection held before us, and then the unlock the unpacking of what that means for our everyday life. And so we're not just, it it can become tiresome if the Bible becomes a textbook and we're just going there for the next rule. Mm -hmm. Really, we're going to recognize what we need most every day, which is to die and rise with Christ again and to do that for ourselves and to do that for neighbor. And uh, and so my, my freshmen, their first test, the question, the first question on every first test is always, the Bible is a book about and there's a blank. Ooh. And the only answer I'll accept is Jesus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so if someone were to ultimately ask me, why did Luther think everybody should should hear the Bible or read the Bible? Uh-huh. Um, the answer would be Luther says the Bible is the swaddling clothes in which we find Christ. Yeah. Because Jesus is there and he promised right. and he's talking. And so faith comes through hearing. This is where, you know, I for a lot of people, if you're reading your Bible at home and you're not worried about looking funny, it's really sometimes powerful to read the Bible aloud to yourself. Uh-huh. Um, to really okay. focus on how the sound to the ear. Uh, those are long answers to short questions, and this is why I let the bird fly. Peter or Mike usually jumps in <laughs> and shut me off. But. Scripture is clearly important. We all know that and understand it. Scripture is where we find our narrative, our story, our purpose, and our Savior. We all have Bibles, probably two or three in each home. 
We have thousands of translations on our phones, reading plans, reading apps, reading groups, and yet it's probably safe to say that many of us aren't meeting our goals of Bible consumption. It's a problem that most of us don't talk about or shove it in the corner and we'll deal with it later. I'll just read my Bible tomorrow. So Rachel had an idea, a plan to help people get past themselves and into the Word. Well, this is something which, as you know, is kind of, it's been on my mind for, I don't know, a couple of years, probably. Yeah. I think I said at a conference that the comment that haunted me, mm-hmm. um, and it wasn't, it was not my prepared remarks. I said it in the, I think in the Q&A, you know, it was kind of, it was about these Reformation women, and I'm saying, and I said, I would really hope that if they could see what we accomplish in our lives, they would feel the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, like, where we see their life and we're like, holy smokes, like, how did she do that? Or how yeah. did she push through that? And you think, well, I hope that they would say that they would have that same emotion about what we accomplish. Mm-hmm. You know, just I just mean frank admiration. You know what I mean? Like, right. a job well done, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, not that we're really trying to blow away this women of the reformation but you know what i mean right. like yeah like they did great things and and at the time the thing that really bothered me i think in thinking about it is i was like i don't know the answer to that but i know that i believe the principle behind it mm-hmm. which is that i believe that saints today can be used as effectively for the kingdom as saints then mm-hmm. you know what i mean like and yeah. and i believe that the reformation actually happened in a real time in history when it did not seem likely you know like you think it happened at a time when things were so bad you know and now we look back on it and we're kind of like it was inevitable yeah you know but it's like no it probably did not feel inevitable you know like i'm pretty sure that to the people then it felt pretty overwhelming you know like overwhelming and against all odds and but this is what we think we should be doing. And, and so as I thought about that, I guess that was like the comment I made that, that bothered me for a while. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I kept sort of picking at it in my mind. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, what should we be doing? And, and I think God just really um, graciously led us along in that thought experiment. You know, yeah. like, what was it? Um, and the thing that stood out to me that we have that I thought, how would these women have used it is social media. Like, because it's like we have this incredible opportunity with social media, mm-hmm. but most women have no idea how they would go about being effectively reformational on Facebook or Instagram. You know, like, like yeah. because we haven't thought about it. We haven't been like, well, how could we use this for the kingdom? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, or... Or that passes through, like, the thing I hear more often from pious Christian women is that they opt out of those things because of all the sin that they see there. Yeah. You know, like, they're like, this isn't productive. I'm not using my time productively. You know, this is accomplishing nothing, so I'm going to go not, I'm going to not be here. And, well, there's nothing sinful about that. You know, like, I think it's often... That is a dis- that is often a faithful decision of people. If they're like, you know, if I'm really just getting on this to like fight with old college roommates, and yeah. no one is no one is coming to any greater knowledge of anything. You know, it's a good, yeah. it's a legitimate question. Or like I using it as an escape. Like I've I I'm a as little burnt out from the or kids. As a, like, if you struggle with envy, you know, yeah. like when people are like, I just keep. Every time I get on Instagram, I find myself consumed with jealousy of my friends. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, yes, I can see that it was a good idea for you to, to not be on there. You know, like, yeah. if, this is, if that's really... But on the other hand, I want to just be like, come on, Christian ladies. Like, tell me you're not actually getting sidelined from gospel work because you can't control your own envy about someone else's vacation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, tell me you're not opting out of really strategic gospel places yeah. because you're falling into petty sin. You know, it's like, let's, let's not do that. Right. So in thinking about this and thinking about the Reformation, we were struck by the fact that um, really what changed all of society in the Reformation was God's Word, mm-hmm. access to the Word. And uh, 
obviously the Reformation had a ton to do with making the Bible available to the people, you know, like um, in so many ways, because Mm -hmm. at the same time as the Word of God was actually accessible with printing presses and, you know, those things happening, uh, at that same time, they were also... They were also teaching through Christ alone, like you don't need a you don't need a priest, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, like you have access to the Father, you have this, and so those things were revolutionary. But they were um, revolutionary across the world. You know, like the impact mm-hmm. of people having access to Scripture was not little. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was crazy, and so this sort of started our thought experiment. Several things came together around this this time, I think, but um, the thought experiment was, what if we were using social media to get people to read the Bible? Mm-hmm. Because the assumption that uh, because there are Bibles everywhere, we have like a saturation level of Bibles, mm-hmm. um, the assumption is that we know what the world is like when Christians are reading their Bible. You know, like we've already seen yeah. that and it didn't do anything. And then this was sort of kind of part of the, I just when we were talking about it, I was like, well, I, I don't think we actually have any idea what the world would be like if, if Christians, <laughs> if you just took professing Christians and had them read their Bibles yeah. faithfully, what would happen? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, if you just change that one thing, and, and we all kind of assume that everyone is, but uh-huh. we also know better than that. You right. know what I mean? Like, no, they're definitely not. It's definitely not a world full of faithful uh, diligent, you know, robust Bible reading. Yeah. And, and so... Um, but what if it wasn't like that? What if we worked on this problem more intentionally as brothers and sisters in Christ? More than a general encouragement to get in the Word and passing between church service and Bible class, but an invitation to read together, like today, after this podcast. The Grace Bible Reading Challenge started Exodus and Ephesians this week. Join us, and don't worry about reading anything you missed. Just start now. The Grace Bible Reading Challenge was inspired by what Rachel did to encourage others to read God's Word at her church, which she'll tell you about in a second. It eventually ended up as a network of women from six continents and close to 8,000 members. If you happen to know anyone in Antarctica that wants to join the group, make sure to let Rachel know it's vastly underrepresented. Anyway, Rachel tells us more about all the amazing things God is doing through this direct approach to reading scripture shoulder to shoulder. I, it has been really, the thing that I've loved is that it was like God really, it's like so many things just came together mm-hmm. in such an amazing way that it, it just is so dumb because it almost isn't an idea. Yeah. You know, like, what if, what if we read the Bible? Right. Like, woo, like, let's really blow the mind with reading the Bible as Christians. But we saw so much fruit from it um, so immediately that it is like, oh, my word, the, the, how palpable the Holy Spirit is in the Word of God. Yeah. It was it's remarkable. Like, it, it wasn't like... We did not come away from our first effort at that to be like, well, that was a nice idea, but we shouldn't expect it to go anywhere. Yeah. Like, you come away with it with a, like, I had no idea, and I and I should have, I guess. I just had no idea the power of God's Word in that in, in a lot of different ways, like in a lot yeah. of different places where I was like, wow, you know, um, how many people would message things like, they've always had a really difficult relationship with other family members but that now that these people are all doing they're professing you know everyone's professing Christian that doing the Bible reading challenge together has completely changed their family dynamic yeah and you're like wow yeah (laughs) yeah it is it's um last year was pretty incredible for me uh taking you know doing the Bible reading challenge too and just from like a sideline right now, um, I'm part of the Facebook group, and I think there's like seven thousand, seven and a half thousand members. Yeah, right now I think. In there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just amazing because I see, you know, you're talking about how do women do something positive on 
social media and I, I'm seeing it happen almost every mm-hmm. day where someone will ask a question or you can see someone who's like, okay, maybe they just, this is the first time that they've read their Bible and they have a, a legitimate question. And then you can see all of the Christ church ladies like swoop in and start commenting <laughs> and just really helping <laughs> them, helping them work through this in a way that um, is very faithful to God's word. Mm-hmm. And it's, and just, that's, it's yeah, incredible we've to loved watch. about that is that it is using this is like what I said earlier, but about the women in the Reformation. I think we're just using their normal abilities and their normal talents and being normally faithful. Yeah. Well, something that many many Christian women uh, are naturally good at is encouraging one another. Yeah, like yeah. you know, like they they're good at it. It's easy. It's totally in their wheelhouse. It's like you know, it's like oh, I can do that. Yeah. And it's true. I'm a part of the group and you see the work of God rolling out right in front of you on your feed. Rachel is going to talk in a moment how if you're a part of the group and just because of the numbers and the amount of postings each day, it changes how Facebook looks to you. I had to think about that some and she's completely right. Facebook is a funny thing. Not only can you follow people, groups, or pages that you like, but you're somewhat forced to follow the interests of all of your friends, too. Johnny liked this band. Jennifer checked in at this restaurant for tacos. And Bill is really passionate about posting memes that merge Star Wars and cats. Not that any of those things are bad or wrong. Well, the memes maybe, but for different reasons. What if Christ was inserted not in just part of your life, but in all of it? And, and part of that is that because it's such a big group, it actually, if you join the group, mm-hmm. uh, and there's however many posts going on in a day, it will change the way Facebook looks at you. Ab- like, yes. like, you're like, wow, you know what's happening on Facebook? Everyone's reading Leviticus. <laughs> <laughs> right. right? Like, yes. even the people that I'm not on the same page with them, like, when someone's saying something funny about Leviticus, it's still the whole world reading Leviticus right now. Yeah. Like it's, but the thing that we're not saying, go deeper into your prayer closet. Mm-hmm. We're saying, bring the Bible with you to carpool. Mm-hmm. Have it open on the counter while you're talking to your kids. You know, like, yeah. have instead of deeper into your own private head life, it's bring your interaction with the Word of God into your life and into where it naturally comes up with other people. Mm-hmm. It's on your mind. It's throughout the day. You keep thinking about it. And it's what you're going to be, you know, it, it's what has been, and it's what has been happening. You know, yeah. that people are like thinking about Leviticus all day because every time they take a second, you know, they read it. And then every time they go look at Facebook, other people are talking right. about it. And then when your husband comes home, you're like, isn't that super weird about, yeah. you know, whatever this thing was. And, and it is Four-legged a wonderful, insects. yeah, it's just a different way uh, for many people to have been experiencing the Word of God in a completely different kind of way. You know, like, this should be up in your life all the time. This should be uh, kind of in your face and on your mind. And it's just been really sweet to keep seeing all of these changes and things happening because of yeah. a really, really simple focus mm-hmm. on read the Word. Yeah. <laughs> just Let's do it. just read the Word. Just do what it. if we do that? Yeah. Let's return back to Dr. Johnston one last time. We asked him this question, do we need a modern day reformation? He gives us a rich response, which obviously it is Dr. Johnston talking. It's steeped with the gospel message of Christ and forgiveness. Yeah, I think um, the the church really, the American church as a whole, but, um, and I use church here for, you know, capital C church, the Right. Various denominations, the well, not capital C, like invisible, but yeah, but it's believers across. Um, would be a doesn't find itself in much a different place than it did at the time of the Reformation. Um, it's very law oriented. Right. Um, many view the church as, as AA with better coffee. Um, <laughs> it's you know it's it's where you go simply for moral improvement. How do I fix this? How do I have a better marriage? 
Um, it's good to have a better marriage. It's good to stop drinking mm-hmm. uh, if you have an alcohol problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, as someone who's been to a variety of services, um, just because of traveling and um, and not not necessarily all then Wisconsin and Lutheran, but who listens to a lot of preaching because I it's, I have students from a variety of backgrounds. I want to know where they come from. Um, there's a lot of Christless Christianity, and I think it would not hurt for someone to uh, to take that veiled crucifix or cross we talked about earlier and set it out again. And really, that's nothing else than to set the scriptures out again and to remind people what they are that they're the the voice of Christ. To a, people used to call it the Viva Vox Evangelii. The, the living voice of the gospel. Mm-hmm. As Lutherans, we really believe there's a living voice in that word that's speaking to us. And not speaking to us in, in some corny way, um, but really speaking to us and saying, you are my child, I love you, mm-hmm. I give this to you. And maybe everybody is just killing the Christian life and doing way better than me, but that's something I find end of the day when God drives me back to the scriptures, mm-hmm. that's what I need to hear most and then everything comes out of that. So I think... Um, uh, the gospel is assumed and taken for granted, unfortunately, in a lot of ways. And I think, uh, um, and and this is we, you know, people be moaning why are less and less people going to church? Mm-hmm. Um, because the world can offer everything the church can except Christ. Right. And if they're not getting Christ there, why should they go to church? It's a better use of their time. Oprah or Dr. Phil can do the same thing church is doing. If at the end of the day, all we're about is self improvement and uh, self help. Um, the one thing we have in the church that no one else has that the scriptures are centered in is is Christ for us, um, mm-hmm. is death and resurrection, uh, is a hope that's greater than anything in the world that can give. Reform a sinner and the sinner is still a sinner at the end of the day. I'm just going to hide my sin better or be tempted to a new sin. Right. Um, but God declares us saints and that's something amazing um, yes. and, uh, and sets us free then to be a spouse, serving our spouse, not because... We're supposed to be our spouse's God or they're supposed to be ours, but because we're both saints in Christ and can rejoice and forgive. This is where I always would tell couples when they were having uh, marital issues, go to communion together, and I want you to stare at her when I give her communion, and you stare at him. And for all the faults that you have in your mind that you think the other one has, Mm -hmm. look at what Christ says about them, and he gives grace, forgiveness. And almost always they would be in tears when they left the communion rail. Um, And I think that's... For us as well, um, what the church needs to be is the place of forgiveness. And forgiveness by nature, what does Luther say? It brings life and salvation. We go forth forgiven and now we can empathize, sympathize, love, just to love and not to get something. Right. So what do we do with this information? Where do we go with it? Well, we have a choice. A choice to combat the three things that keep us from the word. The devil and his lies, the world and its distractions, the self and the sinful nature. We do this not out of the need to keep the law, quite the opposite. We do this out of our freedom in Christ and a love to learn more about him. What he's done for us and how our stories are just as much wrapped up in the stories of the Bible. There we learn about God's tenacity to keep us as his children through the sacrifice of his own precious son. Let us read and search the scriptures for that reminder as often as possible. We talked with Josh Shermerhorn, president of the Congregation at Grace. We asked him what his hopes were for those participating in the Bible reading challenge. I think for the, the Bible reading study, I'd like to see people who are really engaged, who get, get excited about getting into the Word, and also just the prospect of reading through the whole Bible. I know for me personally, it's exciting to have the thought of actually reading through the whole Bible. Certainly, I've been brought up in Lutheran elementary school, through high school, and read most of the Bible, but I think still the prospect of of going through the whole thing again, really digging into it, is exciting. And I pray that that is for everyone else as well. And I think hopefully, you know, that carries over to other aspects of their lives as well. People are very busy all the time. I find it the same for me that I'm going at breakneck speed through everything day in and day out. And it's just a good reminder. It really is a good base for me to think, oh yeah, I got to go do my Bible reading for the day. And so it's, it's just a good reminder that gets built in. 
uh, to be in, in the Bible, be in the Word, and do that study. We also asked him what his prayer was for those participating. What was on his mind and heart when he thinks about all of the participants? Yeah, I think my prayer for people doing it is that they just continue to grow, continue to be enriched by the Bible study, and that it, it carries throughout their daily lives. But then when it's done at the end of the year, that it continues on for them, and it just becomes a, a habit for them. Something that feels natural for them, that people continue to do do it throughout their lives. And I think that's no different for anyone else in the congregation. Really, the intent is to get people in the Word, get people excited for it, and really just use it to encourage personal growth. But then not only personal growth, build up that culture within the church and get people excited to discuss it to talk about it more and and really take everything they're doing to heart. Finally, we wondered what he wanted to see come from this challenge. We know that we are saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. What fruits could we bear as a congregation? Well, my hope is that more people would interact in the study and then that will bear different fruits, whether it's going to some of the different Bible studies that we have throughout the week, volunteering at different activities within the church, or just getting more involved with the church beyond the traditional Sunday worship that goes on. So when the pastors speak about a two-hour experience at Grace, we're, we're really hoping and praying that people are taking that to heart and that they go to Bible study and then it doesn't just end at church. It goes into the home with themselves, with their spouses, and with their families doing Bible study and devotion. To wrap up this episode, we asked all of the people that we interviewed the same question. What is your favorite book of the Bible? While all of the answers were different, we got the same response from everyone as soon as we asked the question. They got a smile on their face and chuckled a little. You could see their eyes drift to a far-off place. You could hear the joy in their voice. And this wasn't just a coincidence. God set it up this way. Something happens when you read the Bible. Your heart and spirit grows. In a way, you could tell that each person was finding themselves back to a little piece of home, if you will. That bit of nostalgia as people were probably remembering a moment in the time in their life that they read the book, who they were reading it with, what new discoveries they made when searching that particular part of scripture, and what they learned about God's deep love for us. The words in the books that they described are more than just ink on a page. It's in our hearts. It's a part of us just as much as it's a part of them. It's Jesus right before us. And this is most certainly true. Uh, favorite gospel is Mark. If I got to pick a favorite book, and I only get one, I go with Galatians. Really? Yeah. Okay. Why? Um, Mark, I used to hate, and uh, <laughs> um, because he's casting out demons sure. again, again, and so I put the most work on in that after a few years in the ministry. And uh, I've got a book on Mark, and it uh, it's called The Path Through with Sinners. But what it the fun thing with Mark's gospel, if you look at it, is Jesus is in the north and with a bunch of Gentiles and with a bunch of parentheses sinners, public sinners. And he does these very un Jesus y things with all of them. Um, he's constantly healing the unclean. Um, and, and it's just boom, boom, boom. It's short, yeah. immediately, immediately. Uh, if I had to pick Galatians, it's just because if you can read Galatians and not get law gospel, um, read it again and you'll get it. I think it's the clearest, uh, it's one of Paul's earliest letters. And it really distills um, what Christ came to do and what the gospel is about. Yeah. He, was, he had some pretty intense language. I think they both say something about my attention span, though. They're both pretty short. John, because he's a wordsmith, it's almost poetry. That's a good question. There's so many. I think it depends what kind of mood I'm in. I really, en- well, I really enjoy history, so... 
tend to like the books of the Bible that have more of the historical accounts, such as Kings, I think would be a good one, or Samuel, or even Genesis. I enjoy going through Genesis. But I think ultimately, you know, I go back to the one that I think for me has the most message and in what you read through, so I'd have to say probably Romans. Romans probably my favorite. I think it's just the message is so diverse but there's so many different things within the book that are very tangible takeaways that I don't know I think it's just it has a good summary of God's plan of salvation and how we should live our lives the book of Acts is my favorite book because I love how the Lord works through the early Christian church to spread the gospel throughout the world Hi there! Have you been wanting to get better at reading the Bible each day? This is your chance. Grace is launching a Bible reading challenge to read the Bible in one year. Check out gracedowntown.org for all the information. Get the schedule, grab your Bible, and let the fun begin. <laughs> 